So good to see you all here this morning, and I want to welcome all of you gathering at our Airdrie campus location, South Campus, and also Bridgeland, those of you joining us online as well. I just want to say at the outset, I love Christmas. Anybody in the room love Christmas? <coughs> yes. <coughs> I, love the, I love the lights. People pay a little more attention to the outside of their homes, and <coughs> I have hooks hanging on my eaves traps. No lights yet. I might get around to that. Um, I love the food at Christmas time, the candies, the way people just have a bit more joy, a bit more hope. I love that we have a seasonal greeting. I don't, you know what, there's, there's maybe other greetings, you know, Happy Canada Day or things like that, but for a whole season, people are saying Merry Christmas. And I love that that still sticks around in our culture. Um, just love so much about Christmas. I love the stories, right? There's just familiar stories that keep coming up again at Christmas time. I mean, the story of the Grinch. We don't think about that story until Christmas every single year. But we still love hearing about that story. Ebenezer Scrooge, he comes up around this time again. There's stories of Santa Claus and elves. And you know what? We as a church, we just, we thought about the five Sundays that we have this December. Maybe you didn't know that. We have five Sundays in December this year. And we thought, you know what we want to do? We want to very proactively, very intentionally focus our hearts and our minds on the biblical narrative of Christmas, the Christmas story, as told in Scripture. And so we started that out the first weekend in December and talked about the whole gigantic story of the Bible from creation all the way to Jesus' birth, all the way to his crucifixion, resurrection. Last weekend, Asheron focused us on Joseph. Next weekend, we'll be looking at Simeon, this older gentleman that was just expecting and waiting for the Savior. And then the last Sunday in December, we'll be looking at the wise men, the Magi, who came from the Far East. But today we want to look at the story of Mary. Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mean, Mary's story, everybody seems to know about Mary. All around the world, people know about Mary. She's the mother of, of God. She's probably the most famous person in all of history. I didn't look that up, but maybe someone could check on Google right now. You know, but everybody knows about Mary, right? Don't, don't they? Mary's story began, she was likely born into a poor family who lived in the city, the town, the village of Nazareth. Such an insignificant little town that historians even fail to mention this city, this town in the region of Galilee in Israel. But Nazareth is still there today as a town. Mary grew up in this town. We, we know about Mary, first of all, when she encounters the angel Gabriel. At this time in her life, she's likely between 12 and 14 years old. We don't know exactly, but historians and biblical scholars will say somewhere around 12 to 14 years old. That's how old she was. An angel visits her. A miracle happens where within her, she miraculously conceives a child, becomes pregnant, gives birth to Jesus. Prior to that, marries Joseph. They begin their family together. We know that they had other children. They raised a family. They had this brief excursion to Egypt and then came back and settled in Nazareth. Legend 
says that Joseph, her husband, likely died after Jesus was 12 years old and before he turned 30-ish. Likely in that window, Jesus' father, Joseph, passed away. Mary's husband died. We know that Mary was active in Jesus' ministry at certain times. We see her show up on the pages of Scripture in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at various instances. We know that Mary was present, was right there when her son Jesus was crucified, nailed to a cross, and then died. Prior to Jesus' death, we know that Jesus said to one of his disciples, John, John, would you take care of my mom? Take care of my mom, would you? And that's what John did. John took care of Mary. Biblical scholars and historians will say that likely Mary joined John when he moved away from Israel and, and went to Ephesus and began church there, sharing Christ to those in that region. Again, we don't know for sure, but historians will say that's where Mary died. About 11 years after Jesus was crucified in Ephesus. You see, although there's more written about other people in Scripture, there's more written about Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Elijah and Esther and Ruth, more written about others in Scripture. But Mary's role in God's salvation plan is remarkable, truly remarkable, extraordinary. And as we'll see, Mary's courage, her determination, her strength, her perseverance, her trust and belief in God, her humility and obedience makes her an individual in Scripture that just stands out above the rest. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 1 this morning, starting at verse 26. And this passage of Scripture that we're going to read in a moment is called the Annunciation, sort of the great announcement. You see, from the time that God spoke to his people through the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, until the time that Gabriel appeared on the scene of history, talking to Zechariah and then Joseph and the shepherds and Mary, this period of time was 400 years. God was silent during these 400 years from the last book of the Old Testament till Gabriel shows up. But the world was watching and waiting. Even individuals in the Far East were looking expectantly, wondering about this kingdom, this Messiah who was to come. The world was watching and waiting. People were calling for a Savior to come and rescue them. But God was silent. And then the exact time came, and God wasn't silent anymore. And he first of all sent Gabriel to Zechariah. And I love how Gabriel introduces himself, identifies himself. Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and he has sent me to you. I love that. And then Gabriel shows up to Joseph and then to Mary, and this is what Gabriel said to Mary. Verse 26, would you stand with me? Follow along as I read these verses. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and following. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the, the word of the Lord will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we look at this ancient text, the true historical account of you bringing a message to this earth, first of all to Mary and to others, I pray, God, that you by your Holy Spirit would work in our lives and teach us and grow us and shape us. Even during this time right now, Holy Spirit, be free in this place, in this room. We want to hear what you're saying to us. And then as we look at how Mary responded to you, Father, would you give us the courage to respond as well to what you're saying to us now, maybe what you have been saying to us or what you will say to us so that we can follow you wholeheartedly, Jesus. This is our prayer. Amen. Please have a seat. You see, what Luke wants us to know in this passage here is that heaven's plan is being unfolded, being unwrapped here on earth. You have to remember Luke is a doctor. Luke wants to be precise. He wants to tell it like it was. He wants to give us an accurate account of history. He doesn't want to tell us wrong what happened. He doesn't want to come to assumptions or draw conclusions. He wants to tell us the facts. You see, Luke wants us to see days and months and older women and younger women and names of towns and names of regions and even wants us to know the progress of Elizabeth's pregnancy, <laughs> that this happened during the sixth month of her pregnancy. He's so detailed, and what he wants us to see is that God's story takes place in real human history, real places, real times, in real life. He wants us to know this story didn't happen in a land far, far away. It's happened in history. He wants us to see this, but he wants us also to see that how we respond how Mary responded, how you and I respond to God speaking into our lives, to God's message coming to us, how we respond makes all the difference, makes all the difference in the world. I remember when I was in boarding school in Nigeria, I was 16 years old, I was in grade 11, and was living with a group of others in a hostel, um, sort of a larger dorm, we had house parents, and we went to church on the weekends at our school because that's where worship services were held. So I remember sitting in one of these worship services at our school, and I don't remember what the person up front, the chaplain, the preacher, uh, was saying, but I remember during this worship service that I wanted to respond. God was 
was raising emotions up in me, thoughts up in me. He was saying something to me. And as this worship service went on, came to the end, the pastor invited individuals to respond, to come up to the front. And I wanted to. There was something in me that wanted to get up, stand up, move to the front, respond to what God was doing in my heart and my life at that time. Even my friend who was sitting right next to me, my roommate, Ishmaela, he leaned over to me and he said, Kent, let's go up. Come on, let's go up. And what did I do? I stayed right there, right there sitting. I didn't respond. I wanted to, but I didn't. Even at the invitation of my friend, I didn't respond. I wonder what God was trying to do in me, say to me, make alive in me at that moment. You see, as a 16-year-old, I was, I was afraid. I was afraid to stand up. I was afraid to stand out. I was afraid about what others would think about me at that time, and I didn't respond. I didn't respond. My question for us this morning is, how do we respond when God gets our attention? How do we respond when God says something to us? What goes on within us? What's our thought process? What's the steps that we take in order to respond? What, how do you respond when you have your plans, but God somehow changes these plans? How do you respond when God is asking you to do something that you want to do? How do you respond in those circumstances? How do you respond when God asks you and I to do something, asks us to do something that we don't want to do? If we're honest, we just don't want to. How do we respond when we read scripture and God calls us to greater levels of obedience, greater levels of generosity, greater levels of sacrifice, greater levels of surrender and devotion to him? How do we respond I can't think of a better way to respond to God's activity, God's message, God getting our attention than the way that Mary responds here in this passage in Luke. I can't think of a better way. And the way that she responds is a way that we ought to imitate. Because you see, as Mary hears this message from God through the angel Gabriel, she first of all seeks to understand what is going on, what this angel is saying to her, who is speaking to her. Let's look at our text again briefly, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. You see how Luke anchors this story in history. Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think about what the angel could mean. See, there's a very important word here, the word think. The root of this word means logic. And so what we're told here is that although Mary is confused and disturbed, she uses her logical reasoning mind, her common sense, her intellect, to process and reflect and try and understand what's happening here. Who is speaking to me? What's this message that is being spoken into my life? What are the implications here? She uses her reason. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive. You will give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. 
and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. You see, Mary's struggle to understand what's going on in this message would be as real as any struggle we would have. Be just as real. You see, we have rational barriers at times to understanding what God says to us. We have rational barriers to believing in God, to trusting in God. You see, for Mary, the idea that God would become human, that God would become a baby, this is heresy to a Jew. Heresy. There's never a time in history, actually, when the story of the creator of the universe, God, being conceived in the womb of a woman and then being born as a human, as a baby. This truth never fits comfortably into any prevailing wisdom of any era in history, let alone today. This truth never fits comfortably. Mary seeks to understand and she asks a question that is a very good question, a legitimate question. How can this happen? I'm a virgin. And you see, in asking this question, Mary's not challenging this message from God. She's not responding in unbelief in any way. She's not doubting. She's just seeking to understand. She's asking an honest question. But neither is she saying, well, angel, this is a miracle that you even showed up to me. This message from God is miraculous, is remarkable, so I'm just going to believe you. Neither does she respond that way. She seeks to understand with an honest question. And her honest question makes her humble before God. Her honest question makes her vulnerable before God. Just seeking to know, God, what are you saying here? What are you up to? Any of you remember one of the first disagreements, one of the first fights that you had if you're married? Any of you remember the first fight you had? Hand goes up. Would you like to share that this morning? <laughs> no. One of the first disagreements, arguments that my wife and I had when we were newly married was how to serve a whole roasted chicken. Crazy, hey? My daughter last night said, Daddy, that's a silly thing to argue about. And I said, yeah, you know, adults argue about silly things sometimes. But so we were newly married. We were renting the top floor of a half duplex, living in Kelowna. And um, my wife had just prepared this beautiful supper, a whole roasted chicken. And she, when I got home, she said, Kent, would you just serve that? Would you just carve that up? And I, I thought, I didn't think, I spoke these words. Um, I said, you know what, Nadine, we can just serve it like this. Let's just put it on the table. You know, we can just grab off a drumstick, a thigh, a wing, just cut it up, whatever we want. It'll be just fine. We'll just serve it this way. And it would have gone better if I would just seek to understand. Nadine, what do you have in mind here? And, uh, you know, our little discussion turned to a disagreement about how our families served food. And um, anyways, you know what, just last week, we had a whole roasted chicken for supper. And you know what? It was served the right way, the proper way. <laughs> 16 years later, I finally got it. You see, what Mary does here is she humbly, vulnerably, just seeks to understand this message from God. And I believe she came with that posture. I believe she came with that attitude so that she would know 
okay, what's being asked of me here? How do you want me to respond to this message, God? She seeks to understand. See, Mary just humbly does this. She asks a question. And the angel Gabriel, I mean, he answers her question by giving her additional revelation from God. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Other translations say here, for nothing is impossible with God. The word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. See, Mary also responds to God's message by affirming her identity. By affirming her identity. With all that the angel spoke here that was, from direct, that was directly from God, Mary just knew it was critical. She felt it was necessary for her to define, to agree, to confirm, affirm once again her identity and her relationship with God. And she says, I am. That's a defining identity statement. I am the Lord's servant. You see, Mary probably had dreams of what she wanted her life to look like. I mean, she was preparing for her wedding day, being engaged to Joseph. She was going to be a bride. She had dreams of her life with Joseph, being the wife of Joseph. Perhaps then they would start a family and she would have children and she'd be known as a mother. That is who she would be. Perhaps if she lived in Nazareth, her her favor and her respect and among the town would grow and she'd be known as a woman of honor, a woman of respect, highly esteemed. That's who she would be. But with all that the angel had just spoken out loud here, the truth, the reality, that other labels, other titles would now be spoken about her, just stared her right in the face. Other labels like unfaithful to Joseph, unmarried mother, mother of an illegitimate child, promiscuous Daughter who brought shame to her parents. And all of these would be spoken in the honor, shame culture that she grew up in. As she tries, she might, to explain what was happening and telling people, hey, this baby within me was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is a miracle of God. As much as she would try and say, the angel told me these remarkable things. This is true. Would people believe her? Some may. Most likely wouldn't. And then other titles would accompany her. Delusional, perhaps even liar. See, Mary had some choices here. She had the choice to live her life, striving after her titles, her labels, her identity that she had in mind for her. She had a choice, really, to believe what other people were saying about her, how they were speaking about her, or she could live her life believing who God says that she is. Who does God say that Mary is? See, Gabriel brings with this message some identity statements for Mary. The angel says, you are the favored one. That's who she is. Gabriel says, God is with you. 
That's who she is, the one who God is with. Gabriel reiterates again, you are the favored one. God looks upon you with favor. That's who she is. Elizabeth prophesies a few verses later saying that generations in the future would know Mary as blessed. That's who she is. And you know, Mary believed in God. Mary believed God. She trusted God. She trusted in God's character. She believed in who he was, and she affirms her identity in relation to God. She says, I am the Lord's servant. You know what, church? Our obedience to God flows out of our identity. The way that we follow Jesus, the way that we obey him, flows out of our identity, who we believe that we are. Look at where 1 John chapter 2, right at the very end, has to say. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. See how very much the Father loves us, for he has called us his children, and that is what we are. See, what God is saying here is Christ is righteous, and those who do what is right, those who obey God, those who follow in the way of Jesus, are known as God's children. That's who they are. Our obedience, our following Jesus well, flows out of our identity. When was the last time that you reaffirmed, you re-acknowledged your identity in Christ? Believing that God, and believing in who God says that you are. See, I love some of the songs that we sing around here. The song, I am who you say that I am. I love that song. I am who you say that I am. I love the song, Good, Good Father. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. That's who we are, loved by God. I love the song that we sing. I'm no longer, no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I love these songs because they take the truths of Scripture and put them into our hearts. They speak words of identity into us. When was the last time you reaffirmed your identity? Mary knew that this message from God that came to her, she must affirm who she was. About a year and a half ago, I was going through just a season in life where I just knew it was so necessary for me to remind myself of who I am. Who I am. I'd have these songs on a playlist, just coming to work, going home, reminding myself who I was. I was just dealing with a lot of stress in my life that led to anxiety, and I even felt some physical just symptoms from the stress and anxiety in my life. Went to see a medical doctor, went to see a counselor. Talked through things, and it was so helpful. This Christian counselor reminded me who I am in Christ. This Christian counselor reminded me of the biblical values that I had lost sight of a little bit and reminded me to live my life according to, to what God values and to what I wanted to value. I just had these songs for months on a playlist reminding me who God says that I am. I grew, that I, you know what, I just have a greater 
ability to not care so much what others might think about me or say about me. That's what Mary needed as she was going to respond to this massive invitation, this massive call from God. See, if we're more worried about what others will think about us, we may not obey God. We may not. If our wealth is what identifies us and props us up and creates definition around our life, if our wealth is that, then we will not be generous and give sacrificially as God might want us to. If our identity is just sort of shaped around comfort and what we have and living a comfortable, easy life, then we won't respond to where God calls us to respond because God always calls us beyond our comfort. God always calls us beyond what we're comfortable with into places that we need to place our faith and trust in him. And that's the very definition of stepping out in faith. We have to trust God. And if we're just defined by our comfort, we won't step out in faith. If we're more concerned about what others say about us, then we won't obey God. We may not obey him. If our identity is not found in our relationship with God, then we may not respond to how God wants us to respond when he gets our attention, when he has a message for us. And what Mary models for us here is, first of all, affirming our identity, affirming who God says that we are. Mary responds, first of all, by seeking to understand and then affirming her identity. And then she responds by surrendering completely. Look at these amazing last words that Mary speaks. She says this, May everything you have said about me come true come true. And then the angel left her. See, Mary had a choice. She did have a choice. She could have, when Gabriel brought this message into her life, she could have said, Gabriel, this sounds amazing, but no. (laughs) She could have said that. No. She had a choice. She could have said, this plan is too costly. This plan is not what I want for my life. This plan is too dangerous. This plan is way too controversial right here. She could have said, this plan is going to ruin my life, Joseph's life, our parents' life. It's going to ruin us. She could have said, this plan will not make me happy. This plan requires too much of me. This plan has too many hard decisions that accompanies it. This plan requires such great sacrifice She could have said all of these things. She could have. Instead, this young woman, 12 to 14 years old, says, may everything you have said about me come true. Do you understand that? Other translations say, let it be to me according to your word. Young people in the room, teenagers, look at what God will do through a life surrendered to him. Young people, respond to what God is calling you to do. Everybody else in the room old, like me? (laughs) Respond to what God is calling you to do. Respond. 
See how this young woman lives a life that we can imitate. Could you have done what she did? Would you have done what she did? Would you have wanted her life? See, maybe that's an unfair question because God uniquely had this message for Mary. This was his agenda for her life. But the truth is, God has a message for each one of us in this room. He has spoken to us. He's called us. He's invited us. He's got our attention. He will get our attention. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next month, and says, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to say. The question is, are you going to do what God is asking you to do? Sometimes people will say, well, you know, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian, but will I have to do this? Will I have to stop doing this? Will I have to change my views? Will I have to give up sex? Will I have to quit my job? Will I have to, you know, forgive? Will I have to tithe? Will I have to agree with everything in this Bible, in this book, the Word of God? Or can I just choose parts of it and not choose other parts of it? Do I have to pray? Do I have to read the Bible? Do I have to do all of these things? What really people are saying is, if I'm a Christian, will I have to do what God is asking me to do? And you know what? The answer is yes. Some people want to negotiate with God rather than recognizing really the cost that it is to follow Jesus. People are willing to give up some things, but they want to choose other things that they don't want to give up, and they sort of live or try to live the Christian life just maintaining this cost-benefit analysis. How much is this going to cost me here doing this, living this way? <clears throat> How much is this going to cost me over here? No, this costs too much. I'd rather not do that. I'll just pick and choose. This is not the Christian life. The hardest thing about living the Christian life is by giving in, is by giving up and following Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you see, to follow Jesus, you and I must say this, something like this. We must say something like this in our hearts. We must say, God, I don't know all that you're going to ask of me, but I'll do what you ask of me. And I'll do what you say in your word, whether I like it or not. And I will accept patiently whatever you bring my way. Whatever you send into my life, I'll accept it patiently, whether I understand it or not. See, this is really what Mary says. May everything you have said about me come true. This is really what Mary says. And when she's saying this, you know what? I don't think she has fully in her mind all of the difficulties, all of the challenges ahead for her. She had those in my, her mind, but I, I think, I'd like to think that she had in her mind just the amazing awe of what God was doing through her. I think she was thinking about all the miraculous things, all the good things, all the joyous things that God had in store for her life because she was favored by God, because God was with her. And she was just anticipating what God was going to do. She says, may everything come true. See, we don't know the things that God will ask us to do. The small things that might seem insignificant to us, but that will have a marvelous impact. The easy things that he'll cause us to do and ask us to do or say. But we don't know the other hard things that he might ask us to do or say. 
Because here's the thing, God may ask you to tell the truth, but telling the truth may cost you your job. And telling a lie might save your job. What are you going to do? You see, there might come a point in the future where for you to express the deeply held convictions that you have about God and how to live a life following Jesus, if you speak those out, it may ruin your reputation. It may make you a target, a person that's ridiculed. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? See, following Christ will cost us. Will. And so when you get to the spot where God gets your attention, when you get to the spot, and maybe you're here right now where God is prompting you, compelling you, asking you to do something, to respond to him in some way, when you get to that spot, you and I must have already decided how we will respond. We must have already decided this. We must have already decided and settled that I don't know what will come in my life, but I give up the right to decide whether or not I will do what God wants me to do. You and I must give up the right to decide in that moment. We must decide ahead of time how we're gonna respond so that we will say, God, I'll follow you unconditionally. I'll do anything. I'll do anything you ask me to do. See, when Mary and Joseph responded And in this particular passage here, as Mary hears this message from God through Gabriel, she gave up her right to decide. She surrendered completely. You know, for some of us, there was a point in our lives where we did surrender completely to Jesus. Maybe you're here in the room this morning and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus. There hasn't been a moment where you've just said, Jesus, I give in completely. Surrender control to you. I'll do what you want me to do. Do that today. Do that today. But for others of us who have been following Jesus, we know, we know the truth that pretty much every single day is a choice to surrender again. And say, God, I, today, I don't know what's coming in store, but I give up control, and I'll do what you want me to do. Even moment by moment, we have to make this decision, don't we? We do. If you want Jesus in the middle of your life, you're going to have to go all in with him. All in. Holding nothing back. You're going to have to give him control and drop your conditions. You're going to have to give up the right to say, I'll obey you if, or I'll obey you only. And just give that up. He asks us to go all in, surrendering all in to him. Because, why does Jesus ask us to do this? Because He lived his life this way, in complete surrender to his Father. See, Jesus went all in, all in with everything. He went all in and went to the cross. He went all in and gave up his life. He held nothing back. He gave up everything for you and I. So that you and I could know God, he fully surrendered himself. And Jesus is only asking us to live our lives the same way that he lived his life. But you see, when Jesus did go all in and found himself on the cross and then he died, God met Jesus on the other side of his obedience. 
While Jesus was dead, lying in the tomb, God met him there. And God, through the dynamic power that he has, raised his son back to life. You see, for Jesus, on the other side of his obedience was the resurrection. Was being with God in heaven, was reigning for all eternity now. And what I want you to know is on the other side of your surrender, on the other side of your going all in, on the other side of your radical obedience to Jesus, God will meet you there. He promises to be with you. He promises to express his love and affirmation and kindness to you. On the other side of your obedience, he promises to give you peace and contentment and a future. On the other side of your obedience, God is there and he'll meet you there. Which gives us the confidence that we can have, like Mary, to respond and say, God, whatever you have Whatever you have said about me, may it be true. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to be according to your plan. This is the way that Mary responds to God's message, to God's invitation. And I, we have been challenged. How will we respond? Maybe this morning God has been just waking up in you that there are other labels, other titles, other things have become defining for your life, for who you are. And maybe it's time for you to go back and say, you know what, I will not let these other things define me, identify me, but I need to go back to who God says that I am. And I need to, from that place, respond to God. Maybe there's been some things that God has been saying to you the last week, the last month. And you've just sort of been delaying. <laughs> you've been saying, God, I, I don't know if this is you. I'm just going to delay for a bit here. Rather than digging in and trying to understand. And you've been delaying. You know what, church? Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Respond. Do what God's asking you to do. Respond. Obey, surrender, and then prepare. You, we don't know. I don't know what God will ask of me and my family in the months ahead. Maybe for you, the biggest thing that God is saying to you this morning is just make this conviction that when you get to that spot in the future, when God gets your attention is saying something to you, you will already have decided, I know what I'm going to do. I don't have to think. I'm going to respond this way with God. Let's just close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, I trust you've been speaking because we asked you to. We asked you to speak to us. So in these next few silent moments, just speak, God. Reaffirm what you have been saying because we want to respond. Let's just pause for a few moments of silence. Father, thank you for the life of Mary and her interaction with Gabriel that teaches us so much about how you long for us to live our lives in relation to you, Jesus. In relation to you, Holy Spirit. So God, our prayer
prayer is that may we be men and women and young men and young women and children who live our lives wholeheartedly for you, that give our lives to you in undivided ways. We'd be people that give all of ourselves to you. We'd go fully in with you, holding nothing back. God, give us the courage, the strength, the determination, the humility, the vulnerability to respond and obey what you're asking us to do. God, give us the confidence to know that you are with us and you'll meet us on the other side of our obedience. Father, I pray that anybody in this room that you are speaking to, may they not be afraid. May they stand up. May they stand out. May they respond not caring about what others may think about them. So now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance, his glory upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.